Hello and welcome to Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. We're your hosts, Jill, Gracia, Dave, Don, Steve. And today we're really excited because we're going to be covering a listener topic. Dave did some work for us on behalf of a request from Jessica Hunt for um, the DC Snipers. So we're kind of happy to be responding to some of our listener base. Um, and we're also drinking beers to go along with that. So, Gracia, I don't know if you want to talk about the beers. Yeah, we ended up getting three different kinds. We got a Country Blonde. From Bullspit Brewery? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I should say that right away. Uh, Bullspit Brewery. I can't even say it. Bullspit Brewery is in Lancaster. So if you guys want to head down there. They also sell them at a lot of local grocery stores, I guess. Um, you guys got these at Cabby's. Is that what you said? Cabby's. Cabby's. Cabby's, yes. Isn't that in um, yeah, there's one in Lemonster. Yeah, um, Lemonster, yeah. But actually, when I pulled up the map uh, for Bullspit to see like where I could buy it, there was a lot of locations, even like the Westminster Liquor Store. Um, so the brewery is definitely awesome. taken off. That's cool. Awesome. That's a good thing to hear. Um, so we thought we'd go a little local here. So we got uh, three different kinds. We have Bullspit's Country Girl Blonde Ale. We have the Acre Maker, which is a New England IPA. And we have an Angus Coffee Stout. Anybody liking anything different? My country blonde girl is good. Yeah, mine's great. Yeah. yeah uh, like that. Dad, I, how's the IPA? I, I can't take this taste taste of spit in it, but it's pretty good. <laughs> no, it's really very good. All right, and Craig, did you try the coffee stout? Not yet. I'll get back to you on that. I'm sure it'll be great. All right, country great. blonde is pretty good. Okay, and we actually picked these beers because uh, Jess's husband, Jim, I think he's like the VP of something at Bullspit, um, so it's a very important brewery to their family, so we really encourage you to go check it out in Lancaster, um, get some beers. It's also at Caneland Farms where you can get farm fresh meat, um, you know, real clean eating there. I like it a lot. All right, Dave, are we ready to um, get started? Yeah, so we're going to talk about what's uh, oftentimes referred to as either the DC snipers or the Beltway snipers. So I might use those terms interchangeably throughout the actual podcast. Um, so what makes a person evil enough to be a mass murderer? And I think that's really the question we really ask ourselves when we look at this particular case. Um, and what makes another person evil enough to go along with the plans of a mass murderer? Lee Boyd Malvo is the younger of the two. Now, Lee Boyd Malvo was a young man living on Jamaica at the time he meets Mr. Muhammad. Mr. Muhammad had, um, it was the older um, of the DC snipers. He had kidnapped his own children in a custody hearing, and he went off of the U.S. border, and he was basically living down in Jamaica, and he was selling people false documents to get into the U.S. Uh, okay. But basically, when he gets back to the U.S., um, of course, the uh, police took the children away from um, John Muhammad and uh, returned them to the custody of John Muhammad's wife, who then basically moves somewhere in the D.C. area, but she does not let John know where she's living. Uh, Smart. She, yeah. She, she <laughs> doesn't want nice. him to be able to come and back and grab the kids. And this seems to be what will precipitate 
the first trigger of shootings that are going to take place, and they'll take place in Washington State that go all the way down to the Alabama area. Um, we'll talk about all of those next week. Um, now, Malvo came from a very abusive home. Um, in fact, there's a story about, at one point, his mother, during an argument with her, uh, his father, went after him with a machete. And that was the last time Lee Boyd Malvo basically knew of his father um, uh -huh. to be around. So Lee Boyd Malvo um, is being abused by his mother. He is um, kind of seeking a father figure. And John Muhammad is a charismatic individual. Um, he was known to be actually good to his own children. So Lee Boyd uh, Malvo kind of observes this and kind of wants to have a father like John Muhammad. And that's kind of how this all starts. So, and then they go into Washington State um, to very briefly talk about um, what happens there. So there is a woman, she is the, I believe, the sister of John Muhammad's wife. And she was a woman that John Muhammad believed had really encouraged, you know, um, his wife to pursue a divorce because Mr. Muhammad was extremely abusive to her. So he decides to have Lee go kill her. So Lee knocks on the door. Uh, she's not home. Um, her niece, I believe it was, answers the door. And he asks for, you know, uh, the person they intend to kill, she says, well, he's, she's not home now. And he basically says, well, that's too bad for you. And he blows her, oh, blows gosh. the girl's skull out. Um, and so that was the first of the DC sniper killings. So now they're leaving the Washington area. Um, they go on a killing spree. Again, I'll talk mo more about that next week. Um, and they end up in the D.C. area. Um, and we'll talk about what might have motivated that in different ways next week um, because there's a lot of speculation. Probably does have something to do with John Muhammad's ex-wife. Um, there's speculation that he intended to do this shooting so that he could also shoot her in the process, kill her oh. in the process, and then everybody chalk it up as a random serial killing oh. um, that just stops one day. Uh, I have my doubts that that's the only thing that's going on here, but we'll kind of talk about that more next week. Because um, uh, there's unfortunately a lot of victims in this case. And I wanted to talk primarily today about what happened to them and who they were. Um, because they are probably the most important part of this story is the people that were actually killed. And, you know, they're very real people. They're very good people. Um, they're people that never met these two that were going to kill them. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah, that was part of the terror. I mean, yeah. I remember when this was going on, David, I was up here in uh, Boston area working. Mm -hmm. But you, you get the impression that, gee, nobody's safe. I mean, no. they're killing people that are, yep. you know, just average. There, there is no M.O. like a serial killer, like you said. Um, yeah. The randomness was definitely scary. Yes. Yeah. And the fact that they'd be willing to yeah. just pick people out, children, yeah. too. I'm just... Yeah, I was living in Winthrop at the time, which is just outside of Boston. Um, yeah. And... Um, you know, so it was a little further south, 
Um, but obviously there was that like concern. What if they come up north a yeah. little more? Um, you know, because um, it's only a few hours to the D.C. area, and they actually do cover a little bit of a wide area. It's not terribly wide, but they mm -hmm. do cover a little bit of a wide area. And, you know, nobody, originally, nobody knows who these people might even be. You know, there's a lot of speculation that we're going to talk about today. David, that first killing that you just described there, are, am I right or wrong here? I thought, I thought I had read that that was almost a test for him that first killing yeah well it seemed like John Muhammad wanted to see if he would really do it because John um, Muhammad had been taking him to shooting ranges and um, he this kid becomes an incredible marksman very quickly now John Muhammad was military trained um, but John Muhammad will not be will not ever shoot anybody um, in any of these instances that all the shootings were done by Lee Boyd Malvo. Um, but he became a very good shooter. He also, uh, you know, they'll use the video game theory that he would play these violent video games to desensitize himself, make him not hesitate. Um, we'll talk more about next week, but, you know, Lee Boyd Malvo, even prior to this, um, demonstrates common symptoms of a psychopath who would probably have not been one to hesitate, period. Um, you know, he bludgeons cats to death. Um, you know, good lord. Yeah. So I mean, the, the, the one of the common traits of a psychopath is that they like to, at young ages, they harm animals. Sorry, um, Dad's making cat sounds. What? So, and uh, Lee Boyd Malvo definitely had that behavior. And that's similar to like a Charles Manson, where he didn't mm -hmm. want to actually commit any of the crimes; he just wanted people to do them for him. Like. It's the control part of it as well. Yeah, and it's also the, um, so in part of Lee Boyd Malvo's um, statements to law enforcement, part of the reason was also that they knew because Lee Boyd Malvo is not quite 18, that he would not have been likely to get the death penalty, but John Muhammad would have been, um, which undermines a lot of their defense that, because when you try to plead insanity, Part of the requirement is you don't know what you're doing is really wrong. Well, obviously, if he knew you could get the death penalty for it, you know it's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's like in Massachusetts, if you're over the age of 14, you can be charged as an adult with murder. Yeah. So it's not 18. 14 yeah. is pretty early. And there's even cases where it goes below that. But 14 mm -hmm. is kind of our threshold yeah. that if you've committed um, murder in the first, you could be charged as an adult almost automatically without even discussing it. Yeah. So, and knowing most males at that age, just remembering what I was like at that age, I don't think that's a correct way to deal with it. Same. Do you remember yeah. that the, the book that you gave me was one of the cases that changed that statute here in Massachusetts? That Fiend book. Mm-hmm. That book. Oh, that was my that autobiography. Case, <laughs> <laughs> that the case fiend. was one of the cases that made Massachusetts say, "Wait a minute, this person knew what they were doing." That kid was 14, and he went around killing people for, like, no reason, mm -hmm. just for the sake of killing. And we're going to actually look at a lot of that, um, too, next week, because that's, I mean, a big reason, like, if, if Lee Boyd Malvo had turned 18 prior to any of these shootings, there would be no question he would never get out of prison. So you're talking about somebody who, if he had been born just a few months earlier, literally, 
um, there'd be absolutely no chance that he would ever go before a parole board. But because he was only 17, he can go before. In fact, they've now changed the law in Virginia. We'll talk about this a lot next Mm -hmm. week. Um, And basically what they said is if you're convicted of murder, um, but you are under 18 when the crime had taken place, you have to go before the parole board after 20 years. Now, you don't have to be given parole, but you cannot be... Um, prohibited from going before the parole board. Basically, there can be no life without possibility of parole for a minor offender in the state of Virginia. At what age does the male brain mature? Uh, I'm 43. And yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. I was going to say, Craig is in his 50s, and I haven't... And I'm still a 14-year-old boy. <laughs> you married me. Oh, I withdraw the question. So... <laughs> Uh, they probably, ex- you know, made it a lot longer now that the, those Viagras. So now, you know, you still think with the same part of What your... did they make longer with Viagra? <laughs> <laughs> so, I I you'll be well, well into your 80s and still thinking with the same part of your body, you know. That's it's true. like, you know, there will be no more wise old men now. <laughs> so, I mean, once it stops working, you have nothing better to do than to actually think since you haven't been doing that all your life. Yeah. In all seriousness, I know there's a couple. Of, there's a couple of arguments here. One is, is somebody that age really mature enough to be held as responsible as if they were an adult? If they were a 26-year-old male, as opposed to a 14-year-old male, would it there be a difference there? The other issue, though, is the court reserves the right to punishment. Mm-hmm. And I know a murderer, a guy who killed his wife, and that was uh, uh, the last time he went to court was to get his sentence reduced somewhat. The judge just reminded him of that. Is part of the reason you're sitting in this jail is punishment. Yeah. Pure and simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they, you've got these two not quite synchronous. Yeah, and I'll try That's to be. the book Crime and Punishment, right? Mm-hmm. The yeah. whole theory of that book is that. Yeah. He's gonna kill himself. I'm gonna fall out of my chair. I always tell my daughter. The one guy who's not drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Falls on the floor. Help him up. Do CPR. You were saying? Nope. (laughs) I just said that that was the whole book, Crime and Punishment, was to balance those two things. Like, when somebody commits a crime, what is the fair punishment? What as humans. And I will try to be as non-biased as possible next week when we talk about, you know, John, the the possibility of Lee Malvo getting out of jail. I I will say that I am biased against it. I do not believe Lee Boyd Malvo should ever be released from prison. I wouldn't advocate executing him, but I do not think he should ever get out of prison. Agreed. And, but I will try and be as non-biased and say, well, these are the people who would disagree with me, and this is the arguments that they'll make. Um, you know, try to at least look at it, look from, at both, it from the other side, both yeah. perspectives. Um, Freaking liberals. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not just a liberal thing, though. I, I mean, to me, it's it comes <laughs> I down to whether or not Lee himself knew what he was doing. And it comes down to whether or not he was a willing participant. And I believe in both cases the answer is yes, he fully was aware of what he was doing and he was 
not only a willing participant, he was actually kind of an eager participant. So I just don't believe he should be, you know, but we'll get into that more next week. Um, we actually have a long story to cover this week, mm. and that story is going to begin in early October of 2002. So if, you, if you're old like me, you <laughs> remember the September 11th attacks. Um, I now talk to people who are actually adults, and it's like, yeah, that was a couple of years before I was born. I'm like, man, am I old? Yeah, you are. <laughs> but you're my younger brother, so let's not focus on that. Okay. <laughs> um, but if you remember back to, because this has been a little more than a year after the September 11th attacks, but the nation is still very shaken. And, um, you know, people are still very, very frightened um, and reasonably very frightened after what had happened on September 11th. And so it's going to be just after 5 p.m., October 2nd, and we're in the Aspen Hill area of Maryland, um, and police are going to receive a report of a single shot that was fired at Michael's store. Uh, Michael's, um, those who aren't familiar with it it's an art and craft store yeah i don't know if they're nationwide i don't know either but they are so, kind of a larger chain at least yeah. in you know up and down the eastern seaboard i think they're in so, wisconsin so at least it goes yeah goes halfway across far. the country okay. yeah so um yeah so it's not a guy named michael who just happens to own <laughs> like a, a store it's it's a chain um so nobody was hit the cashier um thank god um, had a product that she was having trouble reading the tag of. So she leans her head down, and a bullet went right by Holy her head. Holy shit. Can you even imagine? So. Wow. Like, you knew you were, like, inches away mm-hmm. from death. Not even inches, centimeters, if you were looking up. Oh, my. Had she not tilted her head down, the bullet would have likely hit her right in the temple, and oh it would have killed oh her God. instantly. God. So, yeah, it's... It's an awful thing. And now, of course, the police come to investigate, and they're trying to figure out, you know, was this some idiot with a gun that was playing with it, that it yeah. went off? or, And they don't really, you know, obviously know just yet what's going on. Um, but just a, a little over an hour later in... Um, Wheaton, Maryland, which is really only about a five-minute drive, um, at a grocery store, a parking lot, a uh, young, compu- a 55-year-old computer analyst named James Martin uh, was shot and killed. Um, again, with just a single shot. Um, and at this point, the police still aren't really making a connection that there might be like you know, that these necessarily are related. Um, I don't How think close they, are these two locations? Is it the same? About five minutes apart. Yeah. Same police force? There's then? a lot of people who get shot in D.C. Like, when we mm. went there for the Pats game, I felt like we might have gotten shot at yeah. some point. Yeah, I mean, D.C. area is a violent area, um, certainly. It's, um, you know, it's got a lot of... Look at the insurrection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't the president himself. I don't think you're gang. remembering that, right, Dad? I learned on Fox News that um, that was yeah, a nonviolent was, protest. It, it, yeah, oh. it was just a regular tour. That's right. And oh, it, it was a it regular, was a regular tour. tour. Were you allowed oh. to steal of the facilities? <laughs> gotcha. Yes, and it was they was very orderly and very yeah. calm and very polite. Yeah, it's right. Really yeah. They had an interesting take. Instead of following a tour guide, you chased a security guard. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's one way to yeah. follow. I mean, because when we did the tour, like the tour guide, I mean, he didn't 
tell us what walls we were allowed to urinate on. Yeah. <laughs> he was just like, you know, so boring and plain. I mean, I guess yeah. next time we don't do the free tour. So, um, yeah, to answer Gracious' question, it, it's only about five minutes in between the drive. If you were to drive from where the Michaels was to the site of the shooting um, of... Um, it's hard to keep their names in order. Um, uh, we do everything we can to support James you. Martin. <laughs> James Martin's the first victim. Um, and his, yeah, he's about five minutes away. There was about an hour that transpires in between. And I'm not saying the police don't entertain the idea that there could be a connection. They're just, they're they not necessarily. Have the yeah. They hadn't done the ballistics. Right. They couldn't possibly. Yeah. And what's the, the time ballistics. difference here? How are we? An hour. An hour. We're, See, we're that's, an hour. yeah. How yeah. can you connect that so. in an hour? If that's they had, then they would have been like super geniuses. They probably <laughs> average about one shooting an hour in that city. Why would you tie it together? Yeah. yeah. So. God. But the next morning, it's going to be very tragically clear that we have a spree killer. Um, it starts at 741. There's a 39-year-old landscaper named James Buchanan who is mowing a lawn at Fitzgerald Auto Mall. And he is shot um, right in the middle of just kind of going through one of his lines. The oh. mower goes right into the road. Um, and he is killed instantly. And... Uh, at 8.12, so about a half an hour later, at a mobile station, a 55-year-old, 54-year-old, uh, rather, um, taxi driver named Pren Kumar Walaker uh, gets shot dead while he's just basically pumping his gas into his taxi. At 8.37, there is a young woman, she's 34, named Sarah Ramos. Um, she basically works as like a babysitter kind of nanny kind of um, type of work and she's at just the park the, the bench in front of like a little mall area uh, just reading a book and she is shot in the head oh my gosh um, and so all of these take place at basically three shootings in less than an hour uh, it's not over um, at 9:58 a.m at a shell station at the corner of Connecticut and Knowles, there's a 26-year-old woman. Her name is Lori Ann Lewis Rivera, and she was shot while just vacuuming her minivan. Um, so, so it's all one day. day this years. is all in one hour. Crazy? This is gonna this these kill, this killing spree will go on for several weeks. But this and it was, seems to be like he's just driving around, being like, "Yep, yep, yep." Mm -hmm. Not yeah. That's crazy. Yep. Muhammad would be in the driver's seat. They'd pull and say, like, a parking lot or whatever. And then they'd just look at just random people that were out and about. And, you know, um, usually Lee would choose the one that they're going to aim for. And then he'd go and they'd altered a Chevy Caprice so that he could basically go right into the back area, into the trunk area. He'd lean through the trunk. It was slightly open, but there's a hole cut in, so he can basically slightly protrude the firearm out. Um, and he would aim, and like I said, he'd become a very good marksman um, through training from Muhammad. And he would aim, no hesitation. He would just fire. And in most of these cases, they would hit. Oh, my God. Um, oh. And in almost all of them, they caused a fatality. 
Oh my God, um, that's horrendous. Yeah. So at, what would they do then, David? They would just calmly drive away because, okay. I mean, their car looked inconspicuous. And as we're going to find out, the police are going to start looking for a different vehicle um, and a different description. Of and, and would you be looking at the back of the car? I don't even know, like, mm-hmm. most times if you're looking at drive-bys or something, you're looking out a passenger or a back window out of the trunk is yeah. a rarity. And a Chevy Caprice, and this is a 90 Caprice, and we should probably put a picture of it I'll pull on, one up. We, on yeah. the... Yeah, I don't even know um, what a Caprice is. I'm sorry. <laughs> I actually yeah. the same thing. I'm like, it's is that a boxy like, car? They're like boxy, yeah. It was, a, it was a boxy-type car, and, you know, it's... If you looked at it and you didn't notice the alteration that they had made to it, you wouldn't necessarily think, well, somebody could easily be sitting there shooting out of yeah, this. Yeah, you wouldn't think right? that. Right, yeah. so... It just looks like a like a regular. I I, I, I keep thinking of the cops. Um, the police must have been freaking out. So this is like the style of vehicle. I'll put a photo up online for everybody. Yeah. What yeah. year was it? Did, did you... It was a 1990. If you actually Google the Malvo. Um, 1990. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, You'll see how they actually altered it too. They kind of they cut a little hole in where the trunk would go, mm-hmm. basically. So they basically pimped it out. Yeah, and they, they. It reminds me of my grandfather. What was that racist comment? Steve thinks that they pimped it out. Dave thinks that. (laughs) Oh. You know, Steve. I heard they were Portuguese on MTV. Like they they would pimp Pimp out. Pimp my ride. Pimp my ride. Yeah. Pimp my ride. (laughs) That was back in that day. Nah, well, yeah, I guess in two thousand two. Yeah, I stopped year. watching MTV once they stopped showing Beavis and Butthead. And <laughs> <laughs> Beavis and Butthead. Now that was a great show. Should have never been taken off the air. Now those two would be spree killers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they'd shoot each other. <laughs> like we'd all be safe. <laughs> All right, so, um, yeah, I mean, there is now panic. Um, It's setting in in the D.C. area. Um, You know, the first thoughts that people are having is, is this the work of al-Qaeda? Right. Um, And, you know, the other theories people are, is this a white supremacist? Um, Wait a minute. Why did they think it was a white supremacist? Were all their victims so far people of color? No. A couple were white. but white supremacists are generally stupid. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, yes, they're <laughs> stupid. Trying to help you out. But they are, you know, when they do things like this, they oftentimes target just random people, you know. Um, and, you know, like Timothy McVeigh, for example, was a white supremacist, oh, and so were okay. the Columbine kids. Um, they had gotten interested See, in white I remember I'd, I'd go to work and be in my office with, and I, I had uh, two project managers working for me. One was African-American, and mm-hmm. the other person was Caucasian, much like myself. Anyway, when we'd hear about these shootings, we would sit around going, I wonder if it's, maybe it's... You know, and I think the whole country was doing that. Oh, yeah. Is, you know, trying to help the cops or something. But, yeah. You know, maybe it's Internet this or maybe loose. it's that. And at this point, there is little evidence. Um, there's nobody seeing, like, an apparently this was the vehicle, right? Um, there's nobody seeing, like, a car speeding away or anything like that. Um, and then somebody had observed a box truck at more than one of the scenes. 
Um, so the police start kind of focusing in on a white box truck with kind of faded letterings. Makes sense, basically, yeah. Basically, yeah. Um, now, there would get uh, at least one person that saw a blue Chevy Caprice because um, they were just asking, you know, what cars were in the area. So, um, but it's... It's a little misleading when people bring that up that the police should have known because they, they also probably got, you know, every car that people recall yeah. seeing. Yeah. So, it, it, and people weren't saying, well, I saw this white, this blue Caprice with a shotgun hanging out of the back, right? right. They just saw one. And you're um, also talking 24 hours. Like, yeah. There's not a lot of information gathering right mm -hmm. now. I mean, they're trying, but they're also actively getting more bodies. The body yeah. count is adding up as they're trying to get information. I yeah. can't even imagine what they're going yeah. through. Well, I think, too, like, um, like if you asked me today, so I took the girls shopping today, we went to the mall, like, what kind of cars were even parked around you? Mm -hmm. You know, here two hours later, I literally have no idea. I think there was a couple white ones, you know what I mean? Like, I couldn't yeah. remember a little it while takes later. A while to and especially if you'd mm -hmm. gone through something traumatic where someone yeah. was shot near you, mm -hmm. I really don't think you're like focused on you yeah. know, plate and numbers and stuff. And the woman who was on the bench, her head was almost completely split in half. Oh I mean, these were very brutal killings. Yeah. So we'll talk about a little bit about the gun um, uh, next week. But yeah, this was a full-pledged assault weapon. They're only firing, though, one shot, too, which makes... If you're around and somebody fires a shot, just one, it's hard to tell where it came from. Sure. It's know? hard to even identify it as a shot, yeah. am I right? Like, a lot of people think mm -hmm. it's a car backfire. Mm -hmm. That's sure. a very common thing that people say, yeah. you know, or yeah. firework. You know, like, they can't, because it's not a, it's not something that you expect, and so your brain is trying to, like, filter through mm -hmm. what could that have been that makes reasonable sense, right? Yeah. yeah. So I would assume it takes a couple shots to register in like, wait a minute, I don't know that sound. Right. Yep. I just had to take gun safety training at work, so. You know, D David, I was going to hold back on this, but I'm, don't get angry at me. But I, I was reading this morning. i got to bring it up now. What so, happens in Fight Club? Here, here's these two guys in the car. You know, one just crawls back, mm -hmm. kills somebody, and then comes forward. And according to him today, what happens? They have great sex. Yes, the, he, he will, he, he's, and I, I will talk about this next week, but yes, they talk about having, and apparently they must not last long because a lot of these shootings were actually <laughs> It's a great sex quickie. That's what it is. Wham, bang, oh thank you, man. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> but well, yes. on the plus, they're doing it a lot in an hour, too. Yeah, and I just saw a picture of him curled up in the trunk, like, how is he getting... I can't even understand the semantics of this. Well, what were you saying earlier about the man's brain? <laughs> I guess you're right, you know? Yeah. Well, that's why they said they're like guns, penises, right? Like, yeah, but that really isn't that uncommon, though, with couples, right? Because there are a lot of mm -hmm. couple killers who, you know, at, after they commit a crime, they have that oh, almost adrenaline. like adrenaline yes. rush or that ecstasy rush or whatever it is, that dopamine rush, really. It's just right? so that, weird, though. There's this older man, younger. They're supposed to be like father-son. I thought they were father-son until today. No, no. Well, David, no, no. They're not right. related. They're not, they're no, not, I believe yeah. him. I thought it was father-mentor, but I didn't know about the sex stuff. Yeah. I thought it was just like he was See, that's mental. the one thing Davy's research has pulled out that I never knew about until yeah. he... Yeah. yeah, so John Malvo does... In, uh, Lee Boyd Malvo, I'm sorry. I keep calling John... That's okay. It kind of mix, mix them. You're probably thinking of Malkovich. When you, yeah. 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 So. <laughs> 
But they're Malvo, Mohammed, Malkovich. Yeah. They all blend together. Oh, no, really. He he has been talking to he's been made this documentary. Um uh, and I, honestly just just for anybody who watches it uh, draw whatever opinion you want uh, uh, from it, but he is not the fucking victim, okay? Agree. Of anything. Yeah. But um, who made Lee, the documentary? So Wait, Lee Boyd Malvo was talking to somebody making a documentary, and he's basically s described what was going on, and he mentions having sex with John Muhammad on a pretty frequent basis, um, that the sexual um, relationship. Uh, had it actually started a little bit before the Beltway shootings, but um, that they had been sexually involved. Um, and it very well could, may or may not be true. I have no idea. Um, I always got the impression more from Muhammad that he didn't seem like, like, he seemed like the type that would have really been judgmental, you know, about homosexuality, but you never know. Some um, of the most judgmental people are yeah, some of are, the biggest yeah. participants. Yeah, but... I'm just saying, how many books have we read on that? Yeah, you know? so... But, Dave, I, I think this is what you want to talk about next week, so if we have to cut this out, we can, but when yeah. somebody has that kind of leverage over a child, right, then they can really influence them and oh, sort of, absolutely. and like with grooming and, you yeah, know, all of those things that, that can come up. Mm -hmm. Actually, isn't it possible that maybe he was under some sort of yeah. manipulation? He was being man manipulated, but I think the level of unwillingness to be manipulated is where he's exaggerating. Um, and we'll talk about this more next week, but yes, okay. I mean, it, there are reasons to look at Lee Boyd Malvo and say no child should be raised the way he was raised. Mm -hmm. Unquestionably, nobody should go through the abuse. Um, nobody should um, have. And he was taken by somebody who intended to manipulate him from square one, and he was a manipulative person. Um, John Muhammad was. Um, so there is, you know, there, domineering. Yeah. yeah, there is. There is arguments that, you know, I wouldn't dismiss wholesale. Um, you know, just say that the people who are making the argument on, on Lee Boyd Malvo's favor. I wouldn't say their arguments are completely irrelevant and, you know, just ignore them. They're not true. No, there's truth to what they're going to tell you, that, you know, he was a victim of abuse. He was, And it was terrible abuse. Um, yeah. And it, was, it came from his mother. Um, and I think oftentimes when males are abused by a mother... Um, they can become really weird. Was um, it sexual, physical? It was physical. And, the, you know, the story has always gone that, like, his father was kind of like this enabling person. Mm -hmm. So Lee Boyd would do things wrong. His father would enable him to do that. Then his mother would find out, and she did basically assault him, kick the living shit out of him. Jesus. Um, so the, the kid really, I mean, it was a fucked yeah. up way for this kid to grow up and I don't... And it's Jamaica. Imagine the poverty. Yeah. You've seen that poverty. There's a, I have seen yeah. that poverty. Yeah, yeah I've seen it um, in some third world nations that are worse than Jamaica, but certainly the poverty in Jamaica is just... Remember they were begging us for dollars, right? It was just terrible. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and I mean, it's... Well, and this guy you know, knows to look for that kind of thing. You know? Absolutely, like, I mean... Manson did the same thing, looking for girls who needed 
needed somebody, needed a daddy, yes, yes. needed love. Yep. You know I what you're looking for. I think a lot of these pairings, and I know David's already made you the point. You just threw in a bunch of 80s lyrics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody True. But the, um, <laughs> like low Leopold, I, I mean, a lot of it, there's yeah. a sexual element there. Yeah. So, yeah. It's as, just, as there was a Manson. Yeah. And, you know, yeah but you was, know, yeah. David, I don't excuse, even if it were it true crush. that this older man was having sex with him, and I, that to me is not an excuse. Yeah. For I don't think it's an excuse, but, um, and I'm only bringing it up because I was just reading something about Courtney Stodden, who I don't know if you guys remember who she was, but she was like the 16 year old. Or 15-year-old girl that a 50-year-old actor married and like her parents signed off on it and she didn't know until she was like 28 or 29 that she had been basically groomed into and sort of like almost hypnotized into some of the things that she was doing mm-hmm. and the things that she would allow people to do to her as a result of this way that she was directed um, by this guy was just like alarming and disgusting but she couldn't like her psyche was like blocking. And we're gonna look the, into you know brainwashing. I mean? um, yeah. I, I mean, kind of looking at. I mean, with any one of these cases, you have to look at the whole picture. Right. Like if yeah. Lee Boyd Malvo was otherwise a normal child, then I would, or I, I, maybe normal is not normal. the <laughs> word to use. But if he didn't demonstrate the type of violent behaviors that he was already demonstrating long before he meets John Muhammad and. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because, and if there was any sense of hesitation in some of these, um, but there's not. He's not hesitating. Mm -hmm. I mean, he really, to me, and again, this is more for next week, but um, to me, it's more of a case that two psychopaths crossed. Yeah, Mm. and formed another personality. Yeah. Um, The two Transformers. Yeah. When they form a big. You know, because you could look at, like, any spree killers, like, um, they're killing pairs. Like, if you look at the Columbine kids, Dylan Klebold, for example, um, is not really the textbook psychopath. Eric Harris clearly is a textbook psychopath. Dylan Klebold seems more like a manic depressive, possible, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, but he's in pain, so. But he's in pain, and he was not an unwilling person. Right. Like, he, he was, if you ever watch the actual, some of the footage of what was going on, he's the one jumping around laughing, you know. He's, he's tickled pink, um, as one of his friends said. You know, he really was having the time of his life running around killing all mm-hmm. these kids. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, one of them is more the textbook psychopath, probably the one that kind of comes up with the idea. But the other one's just as responsible because mm-hmm. um, he's having just as much fun. So um, the FBI is going to immediately get involved, and they're going to set up a tip hotline. Now, um, this actually ends up becoming Can I very... pause for one second? How many killings are we at right now? We are at, we're Just halfway through the first day. Well, we're actually most of the way through the five, first day. Six. So we got one from yesterday, three, four, five. So we're at five shootings Five right shootings. Now. Sorry to interrupt. We're not, yeah, we're not quite done with okay. killings today. Um, we're not quite done for the day. No. But the FBI says five is enough. And the FBI uh, does get involved, and they set up a tip hotline. 
And these hotlines can have mixed results because you have a lot of dipshits that will call in kind of pranking it or whatever or giving bad information, just looking for attention. Um, but this will end up actually being um, a very important part of this case later, as we'll find out. This is actually part of what does get these two idiots caught. Mm -hmm. um, so... The Montgomery police chief, who we're going to talk about a lot next week because he becomes pretty controversial after the arrest, um, is a gentleman named Charles Moose, and he will give a press conference informing um, parents in the areas that schools would be on code blue alert. Um, now, if you remember back in the September 11th type days, they had different code red, code green. Oh, that's you know, right. Yeah. Alert, you know, yeah. I knew because yeah. you could fly if it was code something, yeah. orange or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. So, code blue meant that during school hours, all children would be kept indoors. Um, no outdoor recess. He says the schools were safe, um, which, you know, to me that was a little bit risky, honestly, to say, I, yeah, schools are perfectly, because yeah. they really don't know who this person is right. or pe persons. Um, they don't know who they're going to target. Um, so, I mean, to me this and was... And they had to know that they were going to hear this. The perpetrators were going to hear it. Yes, yeah. exactly. Oh, I didn't think of that, though. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's why you hired me. Yeah. John Muhammad <laughs> um, definitely watched the footage yeah. uh, constantly. I bet, because don't they say that these kind of people tend to like... Oh yeah, you know, it's there's like trophies or something there's a like picture that? of him. They they had gone inside of a restaurant and you know they had um, the news up. Now this, of course, the DC snipers are going to dominate the news. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there's just one of the TVs are on in the uh, restaurant, and somebody went to kind of turn the channel, and he gets very mad. And he makes him keep it there. He cranks up the volume, and he's sitting there just smiling wow. at the TV, uh, watching us. Yeah, and um, nobody thought that was a little odd. <laughs> I mean, I think people definitely did think it was odd, but uh, you know, it's like there's so many weird people out there. You know, as there are, sure are. Mm -hmm. I mean, DC is not exactly Fall River, but it's close. Yeah. Yes. So. And. Uh, so parents would though they they would most parents at this point are still bringing their kids to school but they're they're driving them they're you know they're not yeah. going to allow their kids to take the bus I mean people are already scared to death um, and it, we're only on the second day yeah um, and then later on that night a fifth person so there would there had been four persons that would okay. be fatally shot um pascal charlotte who was a 72 year old uh, retiree um and he was walking uh on the streets of uh, basically the corner of georgia and Kalmia streets in washington dc and he was shot dead um and again, the police got the tip of the white box truck. So now there is an APB out on the lookout for white box trucks. And um, they're constantly being stopped. If you drove a white box truck yeah. in this area, I unfortunately, you're going to get pulled over probably four times Detained. in any day. Yeah, everything's going to be searched through. Um, and I can imagine there's a ton of them. Like, oh yeah, those are all the small delivery guys. Mm -hmm. Box trucks are local. Yeah. So, like when I used to work in the city, 
for legal seafoods, they were everywhere. Yeah. You, you'd see 17, 20 of them. In it. You know what I mean? Like, they're they're common. So they I can't imagine these cops had a good... So is this part of how they get them, or...? No, because they no. weren't driving so away. Like, I think it's just something that keeps deterring the cops. No, I know, but so it's just a random... It's a red herring. It was a, a red, red herring. herring. You know, people... Yeah. I think that it, the, the people that saw the white box truck were probably not lying. They probably did exactly. see a and white a box, truck. box truck. Right? And it just it would catch your attention because you're thinking, well, if I was the shooter, I would want to be in that white box truck. I wouldn't want to be in a well, little blue Chevy. Caprice. And not for nothing, but we're all told to be afraid of like white vans. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So yeah. a white yeah. box truck is kind of like a white van. So maybe it's a, mm -hmm. a pattern yeah. that your brain picks out, you know, sooner. Thank you, Malcolm Galdwell, for that. <laughs> and, um, you know, the other thing that is going to happen is that they're going to almost immediately, the FBI is going to try and profile what they think this killer is. And they're basically going to think he is kind of middle-aged white guy, uh, probably in between jobs a lot, um, spends single, never gets laid, that kind of person. Well, they sort of um, hit some of it. Yeah. yeah I mean, um, you well, know. That a, but, lot of, a lot of this happens with the, that type of person. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, you look at, they, they were looking for a person like a McDermott. You know, mm -hmm. who shot up his office. Um, oh, right. I, I was actually looking now. at that case to do that for here. Yeah, and that's, um, that's basically the kind of the profile they're looking for. You know, yeah, a gun nut, a white guy. Makes sense. Um, yeah, and it does make sense. That's half the country. Yeah, and the problem though, you know, by the voter registration, it is is when the when when they take these profiles. And they use them as this is a guideline, then they can be very effective. But when they use them as like this is the gospel, that can be a problem. And um, the reason I'll say that is on October 8th, the killers actually got pulled over. Oh, gosh. Oh, I hate these so, stories. And uh, it was just a minor traffic infraction. Um, but nobody's looking for a blue caprice. Nobody's looking for two African Americans. Right. Um, so they just kind of get a verbal warning. Um, there was a record of it, though, um, as we're going to find out. It does actually become, you know, um, important that they get pulled over and their plate actually did get run. Um, but, you know, I mean, just regular, everyday kind of, you did a rolling stock kind of thing, don't do it again, you know. Oh, my nice heart day. goes out to that cop. Like, Best. that yeah. must be. It, it, it would be very hard. Like shit. Yeah. Because oh. um, even I showed you guys the picture of the hole there, you you wouldn't be able to see that in a traffic stop. It Was it at night, too? Uh, that do I don't know. Um, it, I just, the hole, I only it's kind of small. But it is of... a pretty small hole, yeah. And, you, you know, you wouldn't think much of it, even if you did see it. You'd be like, yeah. well, it's a 12-year-old car. Right, I mean, it's a piece of shit. Got even, a hole in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Chevy Caprice, even when it's brand new, was a piece of shit. Wouldn't it be funny if they got a ticket because of the hole? Oh, <laughs> you have the weirdest sense of humor. Why? No, it's, no, it's. I mean, it wouldn't be like, ha ha, funny, right? 
Although we're all laughing. So because nobody you. else thinks like that. <laughs> you I have just, a hole in your trunk. That gets you a ticket. Like, <laughs> no, because it's a sa- could be a safety hazard or whatever. Well, clearly, it was. clearly, clearly, there's a safety hazard. Safety hazard. <laughs> safety hazard. That's the best. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Look at his face. He's like, okay. <laughs> I will shut up. <laughs> Don't call us that. Oh, no. It was Steve's idea. That was Steve saying it. I was just <laughs> translating. It's true, though. So the next day is October 4th. Um, Michael's at Spot, um, Spotsylvania uh, Mall. A uh, 43-year-old woman named Carol Sewell is going to get shot in the chest, but thankfully she does survive. Wait a minute. They went to another Michael's? They did go to another he Michael's. Has something against arts yeah, and crafts. Yeah, is there like a commonality in location at all? Um, so I don't know that there's so much a commonality. Um, it, you know, they they do random places. So, I mean, these are like little mini malls, you yeah. know? Yeah, so. like the one in Lemonster with Barnes & Noble. That's where our Michael's is. Yeah. But. Okay. So. Michael's is a lot of women, I guess, statistically. Mm-hmm. I but they did, weren't necessarily picking women. Yeah. They weren't necessarily picking women. But one no common idea. trait of males who do serial killing, spree killing, they really hate women. So, um, you know, and you'll, like, you look at, like, the writings that um, we mentioned the Columbine kids mm-hmm. had. Um, their views of women are very, they really don't like women. They so. hate no, us Muhammad they hate us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And Muhammad, of course, he really hates women. Yes, so. he does. So. <clears throat> and they could, too. And, and the kid, the kid, too, kid because too, because his mom yeah. used to beat him, yeah. so... Mm. Yeah. You know. So then we're not going to get any shootings for a couple days. And security has ramped up through the Beltway region and throughout the country. And the news would, even like a non 24 hour news station, is still covering this almost 24 hours. You're like, you know, you're getting all these, you, you could be watching, you know, something that no intelligent person would be watching during the day, you mm-hmm. know, whether whether it was like home shopping or whatever, and it's just gonna break through with this update on the sniper shooting, yeah. you know? So on October 7th, our youngest um, victim is a 13-year-old child named Iron Brown. Now, he does live. Thankfully, his aunt was a nurse. Um, so he is on his way into school at the Benjamin Tasker Middle School, and he gets shot right in the chest. Oh, my, oh God. my God. But his uh, his aunt, who was bringing him, uh, she is a nurse, and she knows how to slow the bleeding just enough, and they get him to the emergency room in just the nick of time. Um, and he'll end up testifying at the trial of Muhammad in Malvo. Oh. Um, but there's a very important thing that also happens at the scene of the Iron Brown shooting, and that is there is a tarot card left. This was the death card from the tarot deck. And there is a message on the tarot card. It's actually, there's a messages on the front and the back. On the front, it reads, Call Me God. Um, and on the back, there are... <laughs> Three lines, for you, Mr. Police, is the first line. The second line is, code, call me God. And the third line says, do not release this to the press. Um, the details, though, of the card were reported within 24 hours <laughs> to the press. Of course they were. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and you know this was still like the only real piece of information law enforcement has um, but one of the interesting things, and I saw an FBI um, uh, show with the FBI profiler, and one of the things he was saying is that when they saw this, for some reason they tended to believe that um, there was basically two people involved. And what he said was that the handwriting was more consistent with a younger person, but things like Mr. Police would be something an older person would actually say. Um, and this whole, call me God, do not release this to the press, the word press versus media would suggest that the person was from a different generation mm. than the person who wrote it. We will learn that it was indeed Lee Boyd Malvo who wrote the actual messages. But it does seem like it may very well have been Muhammad telling him to use the words Dictating press. it, yeah. right, yeah, so, for sure. So, and now, of course, there's been a shooting at a school. So the parents in the D.C. area are like, I, I don't know if I'm bringing my kids to school. Should I just bunker up? Yeah, exactly. And people are like, should I even go outside? And I'd be freaking the fuck out for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, this was... And I remember living in Winthrop and feeling a little uh, pretty freaked out, even though it was, you know, like I said, it's, it's a ways away. But, you know, this was scary. I mean... Yeah. Well, once you have kids, too, right? It's like yeah. a bunker-down situation. Yeah. Just hanging at home. I don't even let my kids, like, ride their bikes on the street. You know, like, it's scary. So. It's like a COVID thing. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you don't know where they're shooting from or yeah. who they're picking. I can't even imagine. And, yeah. you know, people, rightfully, because people uh, became aware of the demand that the tarot card doesn't get released and they become aware that the police just release it. Mm -hmm. So people are like, you know, well, they're kind of, the police are kind of trying to provoke this. Yeah, egg him on. Um, yeah, I get yeah, it. You know, it's like, so, I mean, there's a lot of people that are pretty uh, beyond freaked out at, at this point. And the eighth day would be quiet. We wouldn't have any attacks on that particular day. Um, the 8th, rather, not the 8th day, the 8th of October. Um, but the on the October 9th, at a gas station in Sudley Road in Manassas, a 53-year-old engineer named Dean Harold Myers was shot and killed. Um, That's terrible, yeah. And then on October 11th, another businessman named Kenneth Bridges would be shot dead in an Exxon station. He was just putting gas in his car. Um, by now, there are actually tarps all over all these gas stations um, in the D.C. area. The basically, where you go in for the pumps, mm -hmm. they're putting tarps up. So, like, you can't see. Oh, um, that's smart. That yeah. is smart. So, and... I'm I trying mean, to picture pulling into that. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. and it, That would scare me in itself, right? Yep. I guess you need gas, though. And right, people are trying to figure out, I mean, do I need, do I go on with my daily life? Because right. everyone that's been shot is just doing things you would do in your daily life, mowing a lawn. Right. You know, um, putting gas in your car, reading a book at a, you know, bus stop bench. Um, you know, nobody's out there doing anything, like, high risk. Right. You know. Um, <clears throat> and you can't connect any of them. You can't be like, oh, I'm not this yeah it's all random 
It was. And all the efforts that people would try, because you would at times like have people on TV, you know, these 24-hour news programs, like trying to make connections between these people. Like, like it, it was so ridiculous because there were clearly no connections. And really what they have in common is that they're random. You know, when when people are in these times of tragedies, though, they do try to pull together, and you will see that, too, happening. Yeah. And, you know, there's a story that, you know, I'm very uh, fond of. Um, there's an elderly woman. She has to take the bus um, to cash her, you know, Social Security checks. She's afraid to go out. So the bus driver would personally escort her, um, and he'd let her hide in the trees, and then he'd come out and he'd personally escort her onto the bus and he'd be telling her, you know, no one's going to hurt you. They'd have to shoot through me first. Um, you know, and there are a lot of stories oh, like that. An know. amazing kindness, yeah. yeah. So. After shoot through me first, he like literally yeah. was saying like, hey, yep. that's nice. But the killings aren't going to stop yet. And the next on October 14th, was in a covered parking lot. So they had the tarps up here. It's a covered parking lot of a Home Depot. Um, there is a woman named Linda Franklin. Mm -hmm. And she was 47, uh, a mother, and she is shot uh, dead instantly. And this, this really pisses me off. At the site of this shooting, um, there's a 37-year-old man by the name of Matthew Doughty who claims he saw the sniper and gives a false description to them. Um, he described the person as a white man with some kind of dark hair and like a thick mustache um, in a cream-colored van. He oh, said gosh. he specifically saw this person. Um, yeah. And this is... I mean, I'm sorry, people who need attention, that that's this is going too far um, because this puts so many people in danger. I mean, they put an APB out. Yeah. Um, person, yeah. yeah. And it makes it so they can actually solve. Yeah. You know, right. so they're going to so go. So saying the guy did that intentionally? Yeah, he probably just wanted attention or what, you know. He claims that what really happened was a homeless person who just happened to be there um, said she told him to go tell the cops because she was afraid to do it. And listen, if you believe that, uh, like, Mr. Dowdy also has that homeless person will sell you a bridge. You just mm. give the money to Mr. Dowdy and he'll make sure it gets where it's going. Yeah. Um, it, 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 this is not okay. I mean, it, it was a person who, you know, he's there. He gets in like the the heat of the moment. I want the attention of being like more important. This is important. a national story. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine the frustration of the police. <laughs> it's bad and enough. These poor police. Like yeah. I yeah. actually really feel for I them. I do feel this for is them. Wildly this is wildly difficult to solve. Yeah. You know, and, and it's so fast. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like, like you said, like they pulled over the guys, mm -hmm. which they they'll find out later. You know, like yeah. that must be just an emotional torment for Absolutely. the police that they I do remember that. the chief cried at yeah. Time, yeah, during a, a, well, a news it's interview. Yeah. Unfair. It'd be mm -hmm. so frustrating. Yeah. yeah. And they did, Mr. Dowdy did actually do six months in jail. Good. For a, Good. A false claims. So. False claims. Um, Good. Yeah. If you didn't see anything, just say I didn't see anything. 
Yeah, and, and you know... Or, or I, like I mean, Jill, I wasn't paying attention. I don't know. I was there, but I don't yeah. know what kind of cars were around me. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, you know, you never give the police deliberately giving them false information yeah. because the other thing is... Now everybody's like, I remember when the um, Boston Marathon bombing happened. And one of the things that they described was that the suspects were in a gray CRV. Now, I worked in um, Bedford mm -hmm. at the time, right near Boston, and me and Terry had switched cars. So yes. I am having to drive home in a gray CRV, and I'm just thinking to myself, some nut might decide I look. I, and shoot yeah. at me or something, you know. I was actually kind of like, should I just leave the car here? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I and get have that. Terry yeah. just come get me. It's like, you know, because I was pretty scared to go home. Yeah. I was like, you know. And so they described this person, and it's like, if you got dark hair and a mustache in D.C. right now, uh, you, you might get surrounded yeah. mm -hmm. by a bunch of lunatics, especially if you own a cream-colored van. Yeah. You know, so... Martial law, yeah. Yeah, it's dangerous. And, um, you know, uh, for five days, too, we're not going to have any attacks. And But at the Ponderosa Steakhouse in Ashland, Virginia... 37-year-old man named Jeffrey Hopper gets shot. Now, his wife got help from some good Samaritans who were passing by, and they basically helped slow his bleeding. They put him in a, their car, they get him to the hospital, and he does live. Um, so that's good. Um, but at the Hooper shooting, uh, Hopper shooting, rather, um, there was a note from the sniper that will be discovered. Now, this note is a very bizarre one. It demanded $10 million. It threatened to kill children, um, specifically, if the money was not provided. But more than that, the sniper makes an indication that he's angry that his calls to the FBI hotline were not being taken seriously. Hmm. And this would prove to be a very big mistake for the snipers because the FBI now starts combing through the calls that they had received oh. and basically <clears throat> they um, come across a prior call um, that was made on the 17th but before we get into that it's October 22nd 5.56 a.m. the bus driver who had escorted the elderly woman was boarding the bus to start his route I don't think I want to hear how this ends oh. I don't either he was shot and killed. Oh, oh my God. We already love him. <sighs> yeah, Dave. His name was Conrad Johnson. <laughs> he was 37, and many people loved him in that community. Mm -hmm. um, he was a very loving man. We'll talk about these victims, who they were. Um, but they now have that call, and they discovered that there was a call made on October 17th that they kind of ignored at first um, because the sniper, the person claimed to be the sniper. And he claimed about, he made a remark about a shooting in Montgomery. Now initially, they're thinking, well, there was no shooting in Montgomery. Now there's a Montgomery, Maryland. So they're automatically assuming he's referring to Montgomery, Maryland. But now the FBI takes a closer look and says, wait a second, Montgomery is the capital of Alabama. 
was there a shooting like that right around the time he was because the sniper was talking about the shooting we did so he kind of gave a rough time estimate and where it happened and they discovered that yes there was a shooting in montgomery alabama that matched that oh my gosh and so they go down there and at that shooting the shell casing had fingerprints that had just not yet been processed. Ooh. And those fingerprints were discovered to belong to Lee Boyd Malvo. Wow. wow. So all of a sudden, now the FBI knows who one of the shooters is. Huh. And they start doing um, check into who this Lee Boyd Malvo was. They find out about John Muhammad. And they pretty much handed them this information. Um, they pretty much did by saying, uh, by by making the remark about the Montgomery shooting is what, and then having the follow-up note yeah. where they basically tell, you know, you're not, because they wanted the police to be telling, they were basically calling into the hotline telling the cops, you know, we want you to tell the media this and that, and we're the snipers, and, you know, things like that. And... So they were upset that the police weren't cooperating. Of course, the police were kind of like thinking that these were mostly pranks, you know. Yeah, I can understand why the police would think they were mostly pranks, but is it ever disclosed why they did, like, did they want to be caught? Like, they say that some killers at some point want want to be caught. Is that what's going on here, you think? It's definitely possible. There is also a possibility that um, John Muhammad was as delusional as Lee Boyd Malvo indicates. So John Muhammad actually, according to Lee Boyd Malvo, when they wrote this note, he really was serious about getting this $10 million. And they thought what they could do with it was go into Canada and form their own country. It's always the part of Canada. Canada. It's it is like, always oh, the motherfucking Canadian. Case closed. Yeah. <laughs> We'd just like to say hi to all of our Canadian friends. Yeah. And so, so apparently they thought Canada would just like loan them some land if they had ten million dollars. Craig's so they could parents, Craig's family social. would say Trudeau and his motherfuckers. That's exactly what's going on here. My parents don't use that language. True. Oh, wow. Sorry. So, um, yeah, so uh, Mr. Malvo, or Mr. Muhammad, actually seems to believe that he could start his own country of snipers and that the Canadians (laughs) would actually... It only cost him $10 million, and the Canadians would actually give him the land for it. So, so he um, must have met some Canadians. <laughs> so it's, he met some Canadian snipers. To it's possible he Sniper was Bill. delusional. It's possible. also po- possible. Is it possible he was delusional? It's too? also possible, though, that John Mal- that Malvo's making that up. So, and trying to make him seem more insane, but you know, we'll go into that like next week. There's, there's a lot of possibilities there, um, but definitely there could be they might have wanted to get caught. Mm-hmm. Um, there might have been that they were so divorced from reality that they really just didn't. Have so the theory ability. is that that's a subconscious <clears throat> motivation. Yeah. That people do crimes like this and always leave a clue behind, always leave something at the, right? That well, it's subconscious. It ain't like they consciously say, "Oh, let's do this and get caught." It is a subconscious. Well, thing. Dave, you want notor- notoriety? Sorry. Well, I, no, I was just gonna say Dave kind of started this off by saying that spree killers 
sort of assume that they they're assume. going to be, like yeah. it's almost like a suicide pact yeah. also and so the longer this drags off sort of the longer mm -hmm. that comes to fruition yeah. right but right. these guys seem more like the serial killers that want to get away and to me it seems like they're feeling ripped off that they didn't get credit for the mm. murder in alabama they're like what is this bullshit I want publicity for this one. Of course, Remember Craig when you said it was Canadian. six murders? I would like seven on my tick. Yeah, excuse me. I need credit for that goal. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's there's definitely a lot of... There's definitely a lot of angles that you could kind of look at that from. Um, you know, it, it's so hard to... Because, you know, Muhammad doesn't really talk once he's caught. Um, it's only Lee Boyd Malvo, and I have reservations of how much of him, his stories to believe and not believe, you know, um, because I believe Lee Boyd Malvo is a manipulative person, and he'll make, he'll try and paint this as much as it was all John Muhammad, really. Of course he would, yeah. You know, I was the weapon of John Muhammad, because he wants to get out of jail. That makes sense. Did, but, is there any, um, and this again maybe next week, but is there any research to support that he maybe has like a disassociative personality? Like a, uh, an MPD, you know, multiple personality um, disorder? So, uh, Muhammad... No. Or Lee Boyd Malvo. Malvo. So Lee Boyd Malvo doesn't appear to have like any type of multiple personality. Okay. Because sometimes like they say that you can do things in one personality and the other personalities don't even know, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, there's no evidence of that. Um, it's. Let, let, let me talk about that just for a minute. Okay. <laughs> have you ever said of another adult, boy, that was childish of them? Only you. So true. <laughs> and you were probably dead on. But anyway, <laughs> the reason I bring that up is because most people think of dissociative, that, that syndrome, as meaning you have one personality that's not aware of another. There are other aspects of that. You, you can go between trance states that you picked up as a child for defensive purposes. Well, especially where he was beaten. Yeah. Like he could have already been going to different places. So it, it's a possible, but, but it won't fit. It won't. It won't fit the McNaughton rule or, or the rules of insanity in in our legal system anyway. Uh, but yeah, there there are there are some uh, schools of psychology actually believe that we go in and out of trance states constantly. You're going down the road, and all of a sudden you say, "Oh shit, I've been doing this for ten minutes." And you, Right? Yeah. Um, th that's just a mechanism of the human brain. Sure. I kind of. Uh, I kind of think about it because um, one of my favorite songwriters, um, who it's actually the lead singer of Counting Crows, has uh, a disassociative mm -hmm. personality disorder, and his lyrics are beautiful, and his connection to people in the lyrics that he writes and the songs that he sings is amazing, and you can feel his his emotion come through, but. He says that the way that he has this disassociative personality disorder is that he actually can't really make connections with people. He can't really give a shit or have empathy or, you know, and, and it causes him this inability to connect with people or, to, you know, to really care, you know. So it's kind of interesting to me. That's why, that's why I maybe mentioned it to Dave, though, is yeah. like, you know, if you have something like that. Everything's a matter of degree, and I think to some extent, some people have this to a higher degree than others. And those people, you would, we would classify as mentally ill. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I think there's all levels of that. When I work for DSS, you would have all these kids that were either emotionally, physically, or sexually abused, and they all had moments of that didn't happen to me, but it did, and we know it, and we have proof. You they, ask them why they did something, they go, I don't know. They don't remember, because they, they're used to going to another place, so you go to that other place. Mm -hmm. So this could have been, I mean, he was beat by his mother for years. He knows how to go to another place in order to deal with it. Yeah. I was beat by nuns for many years, oh, but geez. that just Here gave me the penguin problem. But. <laughs> okay. But there was definitely, Muhammad was, as an individual, not necessarily glow-in-the-dark psychotic, but clearly he was messed up because on the 17th of October, a person that had worked with him for many years had called the tip line also and said, I think that the killer in the D.C. area was my former co-worker, John Muhammad. Wow. And he believed that Mr. Muhammad was doing this basically from rage of his ex-wife. Um, and so, I mean, clearly, if you knew John Muhammad, it wouldn't have shocked you <laughs> that he was doing something like this. Um, although it took him a while to kind of make the connection. Um, but he did eventually start to suspect him before they were caught. Um, but so now at this point, the FBI has Lee Boyd Malvo's fingerprint. They've identified he was living with Muhammad. They were up in the Washington area and basically left. And they knew that they had access to a blue Chevy Caprice with a plate number NDA21Z. Wow. And so around midnight, uh, they... Did you say a state, though? Isn't there a different state? Isn't it like yeah, New, New Jersey? Jersey. Yeah. yeah, Jersey is... Yeah, it's a state. It is the definitely a different state. Yeah, yeah it's... Uh, you know, but... Um, so... It's Fall River as a state. <laughs> it really is. Damn, so it really is. 3.15 a.m., October 24th. Now, this news report must have come out after... John and Lee had gone to sleep because there is a man who works late shift. He's a refrigeration specialist, goes like, you know, supermarkets to, you know, maintain their refrigerators to walk and stuff. And so he is coming home from work. He's off of, goes into a rest stop off of Interstate 70 in Frederick County, Maryland, just to use the bathroom. And as he pulls in, he sees this blue caprice. And so when he had heard the report, which gave the plate number, he had written down the plate number. So he looks at the car, he looks at what he has written down, and he's like, holy shit, this is the car that they're looking for. So he calls the, the police. And he missed out, sorry guys. Back in 2002, of course, this was common. His cell phone, he can't, the, isn't working right. Yeah. So he the, he can hear the dispatcher, but she can't hear him. So he's basically trying to tell, lady, the, there's the two murderers that you're looking for right here in the rest stop, and she can't hear them. She's, you know. Um, so Is it like a reception thing? There's just no reception yeah, there? Yeah, it's just reception. Yeah, the towers in those days. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is 2002, so you had like the flip yeah. phones and stuff like that. 
So he also really has to go to the bathroom. So he runs into the bathroom. Like this yeah, room. yeah, right. Yeah. So he's running into the bathroom. He goes to the bathroom. He comes out, sees the car is still there. And he finally decides to move his car. He moves his car, still can't get the dispatcher to be able to hear him. So he then uses the company phone. And he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to get in trouble, but I don't think his company's going to discipline him for no. this. Um, but so he calls them and they finally gets on to dispatch. Now they're trying to get the police all situated improperly. And they have this guy basically waiting on the phone for more than two hours. And he's sitting there and the, are they sleeping at this rest area? Yeah, like, what are they yeah, doing? Lee Boyd and John were okay, just sleeping. Okay, because I'm thinking the rest, rest area, you pee, get a snack, get out, Have right? Have a little sex. Yeah, they were sleeping. Have a little sex. That is a thing. <laughs> and so, um, and I give the guy credit, Mr. Donahue, on the phone because I'd be pretty scared to be staying or, you know, just kind of hanging out with these shooters. Um, yeah, like, I'm going to watch him. I'll stay right here. I've got yeah. no weapons, but I'm here. Yeah, so. I'm making a citizen's arrest. <laughs> so they move in a SWAT Good team. Steve. No. <laughs> Takes them a couple hours, but they eventually get the SWAT team together and they move in on the car and now Muhammad and Malvo offer no resistance whatsoever, which kind of has always surprised me. Like they just calmly get out of their car, they're like, Okay, yeah, we can go. We're caught. Yeah, we're caught and Weird. they do not resist they do not give any type of nonsense to the way. police um for the most part and they just go the police search the car they find the uh bushmaster which is a type of gun that was used um they see all the alterations to the car um and as we mentioned we'll put up the video or uh, the the picture of that and the site um, so you can see it, but basically there's a small hole cut into the trunk and there's also, they kind of cut out the back seat, um, in such a way that the, that it basically, you can push it all the way down so the killer can just kind of crawl into the back seat. He'll be in a lying position and be able to aim and fire. And I saved this photo, so I'll post it. Yeah. Yeah, I found it online when we were just googling the car thing, and I saved it to post it. Yeah, it's tomorrow. It's just so. There's hard a reason to, we hired you. It's hard to explain how they mess with the car in the back seat, but when you see it, you can see what they're doing. But it's hard to kind of actually kind of go over how they did that. Sure. But basically, as I, I think most people know, Mr. Muhammad was would eventually be sentenced to death. His execution would be carried out um we will go over those proceedings will be carried next. out he's dead yeah i'm kind yeah, of interested in the um jurisdiction right because so, dc isn't even a state so right? yeah dc is not a state but most of these shootings actually took place either in the state of maryland or the state of virginia now even okay. though in alabama in alabama yeah uh, we'll go into the Ball River. The, the legal proceedings <laughs> we will go into next week. They had a resident oh, okay. Fall River? Because okay. there's a lot of caveats to them. So They weren't even charged for all the crimes. Um, but we'll get into, like, really what happened was Marilyn said, yeah, you killed people first there, but you're more likely to get the death penalty in Virginia, so we're going to basically let Virginia have you. 
that um, happens all the time. I was yes. saying that about Lewis Lent. Yeah. So. We were trying to Although give him to New York. Although he pled guilty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but we yeah, were trying to give him to New York at the time because New York had the death penalty yeah. and we didn't. Yeah. So we were going to drop all charges here to have him charged in New York. Well, it's not that you need to drop charges, right? It's just that they do the trial first. Yes. First, yeah, right. or something yeah. like that. But I remember it going on, yeah. like, oh, what's going to happen? Well, yeah. he pled guilty. So, I yeah. know. So, but, yeah, we'll get into that whole fiasco um, of the trial next week. I do think um, that's interesting how different jurisdictions work together to say, like, you have this, so I have this, mm-hmm. let's... Make yeah. yours go faster. Make mine go slower. You like, got the brain. States, states don't normally talk. Lots of money. Don't know. edit that. <laughs> Not edit that. That was the best. But in those two cases, states talk, and usually states don't talk. Or DAs talk. They like work together. Or this yeah. had the FBI involved too, right? Mm-hmm. So the oh, FBI yeah. is a federal level, yeah. right? So and. You know, at the time, obviously, the president, because this is such a big thing, is going to be talking to the, you know, states, telling them what, you know, kind of weighing in. At the time, our president was? George W. Bush. W. Just in case you people don't know. And he was... (laughs) You know, oh, duh. Yeah. Let's choke on a pretzel. Mm Mm-hmm. That guy can dodge shoes like nobody's fucking business. <laughs> hey, look, that's a microphone. No, dude. don't you remember when they oh, were like, yeah. oh, he was like, he was like in the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> the Matrix president. He's still in the Matrix. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, um, so all that's for next week. What I wanted to do the rest of this week, so I wanted to go over who these actual people were that got killed. Um, there are several of them. In just the Beltway shootings, there was 10. 10. Wow. So, yeah. 10 in like a few and days. Three, How many days? Uh, this it? goes on for almost two weeks. So uh, when you say weeks. 10, though, is that 10 killed? 10 because killed, you talked three about. Injured. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, but the people that were actually, um, that didn't survive, um, the first one was James Darrell Martin. He was born May 7th, 1947. His father died when he was only eight, and he was raised by, primarily by his mother. He had some siblings. Um, after high school, James served in Vietnam, and in Vietnam, he actually was shot once, and he was injured. Um, he returned to the um, back home after, and he ended up gra- becoming a graduate of Southeastern Missouri State University and became a program analyst for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. He was married to um, Billy Darby Martin. They have an 11-year-old an, they have an 11-year-old son. Um, James was known as being very active in the community. He enjoyed um, judging things like the science fair projects and stuff like that. Um, he was a uh, Boy Scout leader. Um, he was also a Civil War buff, and he was an amateur genealogist, and he spent a lot of his free time uh, researching his wife's family line, um, had apparently been involved quite a bit in the Civil War, so he did a lot of research on that. Um, he was uh, so 47, so he would have been in his early 50s when he died. Um, an 11-year-old son. Yeah, with an 11-year-old son. Most of these people had children. Some of them were still very young. Um, 
But our second victim, he, he was his name was James, but his friends called him Sonny. It's James L. Buchanan. Uh, he was born on March 4th, 1963. And Sonny received a business law degree from the University of Maryland, but he decides to, he wants to go into like a lawn design business. And after that, he's also starting a Christmas tree farm with his family. Um, James... Uh, was mowing the lawn of a customer from the lawn design business when he was shot. Um, he was, uh, you know, a lot of people would think of a landscaper with a nickname like Sonny as somebody who was really rough around the edges kind of person, but um, he was not. Sonny was an avid human humanitarian. He loved poetry. Um, he was known to give a lot of money to charity, and he was a volunteer at Crime Stoppers. Um, he liked to go and volunteer at boys and girls clubs and teach children how to plant, uh, just various things. When his family was going through his belongings, actually, after his death, they found, they don't specifically say what it was, I'm gonna guess it was an engagement ring, but they found evidence that he was planning to propose to his girlfriend. He looks so sweet. How old is he? Uh, he was um, 30, he was born, so. 30 uh, 9, I believe. And you said died. you'll post all these. I'm going to yes. post all the photos. So all right. We're on the next so guy. Can I look at this one while you're doing that one? Prem Kumar uh, Walaker uh, came to the U.S. when he was 18 years old from India. He went to Montgomery College and began working at a magazine company to kind of make his uh, living was he's trying to go to school. The living costs in that area, even back then, were very high, even in the 60s. So he ends up taking a second job. And eventually the two jobs along with school were just too much. And so he doesn't end up finishing college. And he long regrets that. And he used to tell his daughter that he really wished he had finished college. Um, okay, so Prem would often um, send money back to his home. Um, to uh, help his family members get into the U.S. That is very common with Indian yeah. men. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, several of them do. In the early seven, in the mid seventies, he will marry his wife. Um, his brother had arranged it. Another common tradition from India. Mm -hmm. um, they would have two children together, Andrea and Andrew. Um, Prem was described as a very hard-working man. He would work very long hours for the magazine company. Um, and basically, he eventually does save up, though, enough money that once his kids are moving out and they're going to college, um, that he can basically retire pretty early at 54. And he takes, like, part-time cab job, and that's where he was killed. He was putting oh, gas in his cab. Um, but he had retired from the magazine company. Um, after his death, though, his daughter, who had been struggling in college, um, reconsidered dropping out, and she actually ends up going back and finishing her college degree. So, well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, he regretted it so much. I bet you she yeah. wanted to, like, you know, mm -hmm. honor him in that way. Yeah. 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 Jill would have finished elementary school. <laughs> Hey, motherfucker. <laughs> um, Literally. Our next victim was Sarah Ramos. She was the uh, woman who was killed on the park bench. 
um, or bus stop bench. She was working basically as a nanny. Um, she was an immigrant. Uh, she was known as a little bit more of a private person. Um, her and her husband um, had a seven-year-old child that they certainly adored. Um, and she came over. She was a hard-working person, known in her church very well, um, but not a lot more is known about her because she didn't grow up in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, our next victim, yeah, we have a lot of them, yeah. was Lu Lori Ann Lewis Rivera. Uh, she was an Idaho native. She was born May 4th, 1977, exactly a year before I was born. So she was, um, she became a professional nanny. She decided at a young age that that's what she would study for. Um, and she studied for that in the state of Oregon. She moved to Virginia to be a live-in nanny for a journalist, but there she met um, Nelson Rivera, her husband, and they two would have a daughter named Jocelyn. And as she's basically starting her family of her own, she moves into her own apartment near her nanny job. She still kept it, but she was no longer a live-in nanny. So her and uh, her husband were saving up for a down payment on a home when she died at 26 years old. So she was. And we revere so her memory. We do. We do. 26 is so young. It is. Pascal Emil Charlotte was a retired carpenter. He had immigrated from Haiti during the <gasps> 1960s. Um, he was born April 20th, 1930. He had a loving wife uh, named Doriel. And the two had five children together. Even though he was retired, Pascal would still do a lot of carpentry work for his neighbors. Uh, he would very he would almost never charge them either. Um, he also loved gardening, and he would keep his home decorated with flowers. He liked to grow bell paper, uh, bell peppers, um, those kinds of things. So he was, you know, just an avid gardener, retired man, kind of. He was like in his seventies, right? Yeah. In his seventies, yeah. Nice guy, seemed like. Um, Dean Harold Myers uh, was born May 17, 1963. He was a 53-year-old civil engineer. He was uh, born and raised on a small farm in Pennsylvania. He ended up serving in Vietnam. And actually, it was him that survived the gunshot wound. I was mistaken oh, oh, earlier. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Well, that's good. It was him. Um, it seems like such unusual torture to go to Vietnam, survive Vietnam, and yeah. then to... Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Come back yeah, and be and shot by somebody. Shot, it's just yeah. unbelievable. Um, Finger of God. He was known by co workers as friendly, although a little bit shy. He did never marry. Um, he took his faith extremely seriously. Um, he did not drink alcohol at all or tobacco. Unlike us. Yeah. He was. Nobody drinks tobacco, Dad. <laughs> but he did love cars, he loved the outdoors. Um, he was also a very avid donor, donator to charities, um, and obviously died at 53, um, was survived by most of his family that he'd grown up with, his brothers. Damn. Kenneth Bridges was born on June 24, 1949. He was a political advocate, uh, activist. He was a co-founder of MATA, which is an organization that was dedicated to empowering African-American business leaders. He was born in Michigan, and he will very early in life become 
a business leader, a political activist, and a writer. Ken wrote a book in 1993 entitled Succeeding in the World Without Being of the World. The book was dedicated to his wife, Jocelyn, and the dedication read, Any doubts that God loves me were removed when he let me have you for my wife. What a blessing. Kenneth's mission um, is still held today by his children, his wife, and his family. They have a website dedicated to his memory and bettering the lives of African Americans at KenBridges.org. So his book's probably still out there, right? Oh yeah, you could still buy it. What's the name of it? Um, It is called Succeeding in the World Without Being of the World. That's a good title. Linda Franklin. um, She was born in March of 1955 in Indiana. She ended up moving around a lot as a child and eventually graduates high school in Florida. She began attending nursing college. However, um, she was seen as being too attached to patients. Hmm. So she ended up deciding it wasn't for her. She ends up stopping college. She had married a boyfriend that she had had in high school. They have two children, but the marriage eventually just doesn't work out. Um, So at that point, Linda decides to go back to college. She studies to become a teacher. She graduates with honors in 1986. And then she decides to teach in numerous countries, um, sometimes dangerous countries, uh, even Guatemala. Um, she was, uh, there's a story uh, about her refusing to give up a car to a uh, carjacker in Guatemala who was armed with a machete. Oh my so God. She was a brave woman. Um, <clears throat> Shortly after living in Guatemala, she um, moves to Germany, and she met another man there that she would marry. Um, She moved to Japan from there with her children and her new husband, Um, but shortly after in Japan, her second marriage would eventually fall apart, and she would end up meeting Ted Franklin, who was a former Marine. He was a computer specialist. Um, she moved with him to Belgium. They got married in Belgium. Um, while in Belgium, she had several issues. Her house caught on fire. Um, basically, they end up moving back to the U.S. And Ted's mother had been diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, so she was now deciding she doesn't want to be a teacher anymore she's looking for a new career she went to try to get into the cia wow um they tell her she was too old um (coughs) hurtful yeah Mm -hmm. but the fbi on the other hand uh hired her so she worked for the fbi um when she uh, unfortunately died you know there's a lot of bravery to move even out oh, of state, yeah. and she think of a country, three times, countries. Interesting yeah. life. And sounds she was like a, a single mother. Yeah, too, it sounds so. like such a brave woman yeah. who overcame probably obstacles throughout mm-hmm. her entire life. Yeah. You know. Like so I said, I can't even one. move forty minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you did say down. that. Mm-hmm. Where's Worcester? Um, I feel like this it's woman looks so kind. Yeah. This woman looks super kind, though. I feel like Conrad Johnson is our final victim. Okay. And he was born March 14, uh, 1967, in Kingston, Jamaica. 
He moved to the U.S. as a young child, and he married his wife, Denise. Denise and Conrad would have two boys. Conrad was a very athletic man and a very, kind of, big weightlifter, too. He loved football. He loved basketball. Him and his sons played basketball together frequently. Uh, Conrad worked for the county for nearly a decade. Um, when is he, he our bus driver? He is the bus driver. I thought so. Look at his face. Yeah, he was known... Um, is like this gentle giant because he's a pretty big guy. He looks pretty he's big. He's also yeah. a weightlifter, mm -hmm. you know, so he's not just large, but you know, yeah, he's got up, right? a lot of muscle yeah, to him. Yeah, he raised um, dumbbells. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. So he was. Um, well, that's why he thought he was a bigger target than the other, the elderly lady. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. What a shame. And he really liked um, working on the bus, he was very kind to everybody that came on the bus. He was known to really, really love the elderly people especially. He was very nice to them. Um, he was known as, you know, just a genuinely nice person for the sake of being a nice person. Um, yeah. That kind of personality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, very family, family man. Loved his sons, loved his wife very much. Um, so, yeah, he is, the, and they're all sad, but yeah. he is an especially sad mm -hmm. um, victim. Because, yeah, and he was young, too. Yeah. A lot of them were. Right. Um, but, you know. Yeah, so that was the 10 people that were murdered um, in the DC Beltway sniping. So, they did actually murder other people. We'll talk about the pre um, DC. Um, next week we'll also talk about the different um, uh, arguments for keeping Lee Boyd in or out of prison um, that people will make. We'll talk about how the legal proceedings actually went in those cases mm -hmm. and um, the general aftermath of the D.C. sniper shootings, which was a really rough time. Significant, for, yeah. Yeah. So...